they'll see a painting and ask, how long did it take me to do it? I think the expectation is that I will say a week, two weeks. But my answer is always whatever age I am. So in current work, it's like 70 years because I believe that art doesn't stand in isolation, that you bring everything that you are, everything that you have experienced with you to your work and your expressions. Welcome to Arts In, also known as AI, the podcast produced by Creative Pinellas. I'm Barbara St. Clair, your host, and today I am with Dr. Cora Marshall, who is an artist who lives in Gulfport, Florida. Cora, welcome. Well, thank you for inviting me. I think the common thread throughout my work is kind of exploring my place in the world, and that has to do with myself and how I feel, my home and my community, but it also includes what it means being a human, our spirit and our soul. But in my, I guess, artistic curiosity has always been centered either kind of internally or on my family and community and also skill acquisition. (laughs) (laughs) And I think a lot of my work reflects the fact that I was a high school art teacher for many years. And as a result, I had to know how to do a lot of different things. I had to know how to draw, how to do painting. I had to know how to do printmaking, Mm -hmm. even throw a pot on the wheel. So when it comes to a concept, I have a palette of possibilities of how to express it. So if I'm dealing with something like the series Clan and Ken, I took a year off to just look at some of my family history and did a series with two different aspects, actually. The first part had to do things I actually remembered. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, that was kind of misty, watercolored memories. Mm -hmm. It's kind of more hazy. It's uh, more incorporeal, you know, out there reflecting. So the media I chose was mixed media, but it's very layered. The images are, are somewhat obfuscated and, you know, hard to see clearly. And the second part had to do with, I was fortunate enough to have some photos of some of my family members on my mother's side, my great-great-grandmother, my great-great-grandfather, and so on. And that's kind of my ancestry. So Mm -hmm. I guess in a way of exploring, I never knew them, but they are part of me. I looked at some of the images looking for family connections. I think the overall arcing idea of that that particular family series is that we share a lot. Mm -hmm. So when you see the two little girls on the swing, it's not just about Cora or the artist. It's about childhood memories you may have had. It's all all about the storytelling. And as I said, I choose the the media that's demanded by the, the concept. My biggest series was Runaways. I get my inspiration a lot of times by things I read. So I was working in the library doing research. So I came across all these advertisements for the return of runaway enslaved people. And I was so taken by how descriptive some of the ads were the color of their skin, what type of hair they had, scars, the clothing they wore. So immediately I did first two, and I wasn't happy with it. The medium wasn't working, and I went away from that, doing other stuff in the meantime. But two years later, I started working in acrylic, because I was working in oil prior, and I started 
exploring mixed media. Mm -hmm. And then I knew what was missing with the runaways. Some of my work is kind of right up front in your face Mm -hmm. and others are more veiled. Mm -hmm. And that's what was missing, the veil of history. Mm -hmm. You know, the first two were like way too much in your face. But I decided what I would do is to cover them with wax. Mm -hmm. And that way, uh, the veil that reveals and conceals and protects gave that aesthetic distance. And two, I think it's about giving faces and personalities because their disposition was also described. Keep in mind, there weren't cameras. So they were paper people. So I wanted to give them a face and a personality. I think uh, my next step will be to give them a voice and write some monologues Mm -hmm. based on events that were happening at the time. I was working on my master's degree at Parsons and uh, Bank Street in New York. And around that time, my father passed and his mother was a Native American Cherokee. And we found, going through his things, one of the only photographs of her. Her name was Cora. Ah. Ah. (laughs) So, of course, you know, going off on a new aesthetic project, you know, thinking about what it was I wanted to do with my masters as far as the uh, painting portion of it. The master was half painting and half academic. I decided that I would look at my grandmother. And the more I read, the more I saw the parallels between the Africans and the Native Americans. And I thought I would tell the story of the Eastern Band of Cherokee, the ones that did not go on the Trail of Tears, and how their language was experiencing a comeback, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, after being denied, they were whipped and you know locked in closets if they used their language. And I was very blessed in as much as I connected to two elders of the tribe that adopted me. Mm. So they introduced me to the keeper of the song, and he allowed me to record. So at the same time, as far as what my art was looking like, I kind of burst into color. Uh I was doing a lot of neutrals before, a lot of pencil and charcoal. But when I got to that stage, uh, the color just kind of came forth, and I was totally seduced. What medium, what technique do you use to express a concept? The concept of being torn away from your home. It wasn't a neutral. The whole series has a lot of reds in it. Right, I was just thinking bloody. Yeah, yeah. My family is very spiritual, and we believe very much in, and I myself personally, that nothing ever dies. It's a little physics, you know, you can't destroy energy. It just evolves and goes to a different form. I believe we have people around us that still can impact and influence our lives. That's reflected in my work. Again, where do I fit in? You know, what is that common uh, human spirit or soul that we all share? Once you, you know, flay us and we no longer have a skin color or, you know, take away the layers of distrust and hate, you know, I think we have some common things that are expressed and we can get in touch and there's more to life than just what we can see, eat or hear. Mm -hmm. And we have to be quiet and contemplative and reflective to Mm -hmm. access it. were a student at Howard University in the 60s. Is that correct? That's right. 
And Howard is a traditional black university. Uh, historically. I graduated from an all-girls Catholic academy. I had 125 girls in the whole school. Mm-hmm. I never had an art class. So I went to Howard. Like most people, I just picked things I was good at, you know, chemistry, math, you know. I ended up with elementary education because I love students. And then I took that painting class for my fine arts requirement. Literally got on my knees because I knew I found my passion. Wow. You know, I said, this is it. Doesn't matter if I have to add more years. So I'm going to switch over to art education. The teachers I had at that time, see, it was at the cusp of the black revolution. Mm-hmm. It was at the cusp of the teachers I had then. Uh, Lois Maylou Jones, she's currently in the Smithsonian. She is an icon of black art. And... I was taught at Huey Lee Smith, you know, studied in Paris and again in the Smithsonian. And they taught me how to paint using traditional painting methods, draw, you know, from life and so forth and so on. So I came from a very traditional background on how to make art and what counts as good art. And then that last year, that's when in 68, when Martin Luther King died, that's mm-hmm. when all hell broke loose. Right. And following that, we changed deans and the kind of philosophy and lens through which the art department was looking was more of a revolutionary. And because being young, uh, being involved, you know, living close to the riots, I really wanted to relate. And that was the word then. Mm -hmm. You got to relate. So I said, I'm going to do something revolutionary. Mm -hmm. So I did the building. I did the fist. You know, I did the flames. And then we had the critique. And everybody started laughing. I'm like, what? And they're pointing. I said, what? What's wrong? They say, the fist. The fist. Instead of doing the black power fist with a thumb over the fingers, I did it with the fingers up. Mm-hmm. Right on. Right. Oh. <laughs> it was telling this story. Biggest lesson I ever learned, to thine own self be true. You know, mm-hmm. uh, things are going to be going around you. Things will, you know, kind of inspire you. But you have to find your own way and how you're going to express it. And literally, I take that with me today, you know. That it doesn't matter, you know, what other people are doing. It doesn't matter what other people are saying. You know, you have to express yourself from the inside out, not the outside in. What did you mean by revolutionary? Because it seemed to me in listening to you, you were talking about it in two different ways. One was that there was this tremendous drive for change and, for lack of a better way of saying it, recalibration. And then the other was more symbolic. Well, they call it the Black Revolutionary Movement or the different names for it. You think about taking back communities, being responsible for feeding the children yourself, for making things more accessible to the community, like education. So we'll teach children ourselves. We should be doing that, more of that, because histories get written by the one who conquered. So it's all colored through a kind of rose lens. Running parallel to that was the Black Arts Movement. And that has the imagery of the revolution, you know, to support 
what was going on because so, so many years it was like those uh, Negroes, their hair is too kinky. You like it kinky? Here, take this big bush. Yes. Your skin is too dark. Great, let's see if I can make it darker. Right. So that kind of, uh, uh, I guess, acting as your own agent, taking back some of your power that you had given away because prior to that, black folks were trying to look like white folks. I'm not political by nature, you know. Mine is more of changing hearts and souls, inviting contemplation, looking for things that we have in common, that we all share and can consider, you know, beautiful or worthwhile. Back to the family series, you know, good memories that we do share, you know. I have done, when I'm very moved, to do something political, but that's generally not what I do. So it's interesting to me that you say that because as a person experiencing your art, mm -hmm. to me the, the series on the advertisements to recapture runaway slaves is extraordinarily political because mm -hmm. it really requires coming face to face with mm -hmm. history that is really a horrid history, mm -hmm. the whole idea of ownership of, of, mm -hmm. of, a, of a somebody, and then giving real sense of presence and humanity of that somebody mm -hmm. who is being tracked down, mm -hmm. that seems to me inherently I political. I, you know, I think by the nature of the act it is. But I guess what I'm saying for myself, I'm not doing a painting of the capture. Right. I'm not doing a painting of the living conditions under which they had to survive. Right. I'm trying to win hearts and souls. These are real people, mm -hmm. you know. They have an attitude. Every single one of the ones that I did, their eyes follow you no matter where you are in the room. Mm. So this is an invitation to think about the humanity, again, the shared soul, what would you have done, you know, right. in the same situations. So what you say is absolutely true. The act itself by its nature, it's political. Yeah. But how I decide to externalize it through my art right. comes from a different place. It's not art in the service of a political point. And it's, you know, not even just the runaways. It's like the series I did. It's called, you know, The Golden Years and seniors who continue to work in order to age in place and to stay at home. You could almost put a question mark behind it. You know, is this what the golden years are? But the whole idea of that grocery bagger, do we stop and really look at them? Right. The crossing guard, that museum guard, you know, and so forth and so on. So it's a way of making it more human. It's interesting because the professions that you chose, crossing guard, cook, musician, grocery bagger, library assistant, substitute teacher, museum guard, daycare worker... Those are not easy jobs to do. No. In these particular works, the faces are generally in, in a pretty much of a close-up. What I wanted to do is, because it's, again, looking for some shared ground, I deliberately tried not to make them very specifically black or white or other. And it depends on who's looking at it. But right. I tried to kind of keep it neutral because it's, I guess that the older you get, the more we all kind of look alike too, you know? <laughs> I love doing faces, as you can see. So. Right. Although your work has an incredible fluidity of different storytelling techniques and different 
painting techniques and different layering techniques, which I find wonderful because I, I, I don't appreciate as much an artist who whose work just kind of looks the same. And well, it's somebody... called going deep. Some artists go really deep and deeper and deeper. Right. I go broad, you know. Well, but also <laughs> deep. And because uh, I think the most consistent thing for me in looking at your work, well, there's two things. One is the skill, the technical skill in it. But the other is your interest in the human face and what the human face has to say to, I guess, you as a, a painter mm -hmm. and an artist, but also to the person seeing the work. For whatever reason, that is what I am most drawn to. Perhaps it's the eyes or the windows to the soul. And I think that so much can be expressed in just a raise of the corner of the lip or narrowing of the eye or a little bit of a smirk that could communicate uh, loudly when no words are present. You also have a PhD. A Doctor of Arts. It's the last in the arts strand. Bachelor of Arts, Master's of Arts, it's a Doctor of Arts. And it's a production degree. It not only requires you to write a dissertation, but also you produce a body of work. Right. So I looked at a, a, a lot of artists who use their ethnicity as subject in their work. And as I was looking at them, I was also producing a body of work where I was using my ethnic background as the center. Right after I finished my master's in doing the uh, grandmother series, I started the grandmother series, using my grandmother's face as reference, kind of making it an icon. I was continuing to paint. I went to a show and was very influenced, an artist called Renee Stout. And she was working with the Nkisi figures and the New Orleans medicine bags. And she really moved me in that show. And I decided that what the grandmothers were missing was that Nkisi feel, the wrap, the ties, the medicine bags. Mm -hmm. So as I was exploring doing a different kind of mixed media series with the grandmothers, I looked at the African. I had some African symbols like the Sankofa from the Adinkra Shanti. That means looking back to the past to build the future and really means go back and fetch it. I was using arrowheads and I decided that something was missing. The African, the Native American. What about the white? How do that become part of it? I mean, you guys can't, you know, ignore it. You know? <laughs> so I decided to do Christian because not only did it have an impact on my life, but also the Christian missionaries impacted on both the African and the Native American cultures. Right. So what I did is the Cherokee has a syllabary, you know, writing, and I would incorporate like the 23rd Psalm written mm. in Cherokee. So that was a Christian and the Native American and the African kind of all co-mingling. Because I feel you don't have to choose. You don't have to pick. And a lot of times, like, somebody will comment that the work isn't black enough or, you know, the work isn't abstract enough or the work isn't... The work is whatever it, you know, turns out to be. And that as far as incorporating some of your influence, I'm talking about ethnic influences and those kinds of things, you get to choose. You get to mm -hmm. choose what you put in. Yeah. So what I go on is how does it make me feel when I see yeah. You know, yeah. so I did a series with the Benin called Recalling because I just connected to these little bronze sculptures, but then I made them paintings, you know. 
So by working with it, by looking at the culture, reflecting on what it means to have these kind of figures, a part of them now is, will belong to me, you mm -hmm. know. I'm not saying I am that, but a, a part, an aspect of the way of thinking and seeing. Yeah, appropriation is a big issue in art and has been since forever, especially in the 80s going forward, you know. Who gets to use what? And not even just somebody else's culture, but also somebody else's images in mm -hmm. your work. Mm -hmm. You know, appropriation is a big thing. For me, it has to do with intent. Why are you exploring and going in this direction? Why are you including it? And I think if your intent is pure, then it's okay. When I find shared spiritual concepts, I explore them. One of the big ones is the Aborigines, mm -hmm. you know, and their dot paintings. Oh, I fell in love with the dot paintings. Right. I have a whole series yes, because do. of that spirituality we were talking about earlier. I believe that you, you know, the importance of dreaming. And, you know, when I started reading about how they were connecting to and creating the world through dreaming, I just love, you know, that painting in particular. I think I have the sea dreaming yeah. and, you know, the dream messengers. Yeah, that came about when I was really uh, sick and running a high fever. And my grandmother, Cora, who was also a healer, she came to me in a dream, told me what I need to do to get well. And then I did this series of dream messengers that brought healing words the whole idea of dreaming a reality or going beyond what is corporeal, physical, right here that you can see and touch has always been area that I feel most comfortable. Mm -hmm. And if you look back to the earlier work, when I first started, even my neutral, I would not start with a subject. I would just start with a face mm -hmm. and the whole work of art would develop. I called it a stream of consciousness or sophisticated doodles, but it would develop all of itself, almost like relaxing and letting your subconscious, you know, guide your hand, get in that zone. An artist is always creating something where there was nothing before. A painting or a sculpture or a film or whatever it is didn't exist until the artist brought it into being. Well, that's true, and I guess as an addendum to that, what is the art? Is it the physical manifestation, or is the concept and idea in your head? Because if the true art is what's inside, the others are just artifacts. And every artist will tell you, it's not as good as what I imagined or envisioned or see. So there's a whole dialogue about that, too. Mm -hmm. You know, what actually is the art, you know? True, it comes out in some kind of form that can be shared with others, be it dance or music or a painting. It might be a good rendition, but never is it in its totality of the concept that was up in your head that you wanted to express. Mm -hmm. There is so much negativity out there when you turn on the TV or read the newspaper and people have so strong feelings of what they consider America and what's good for America and where we need to be. I'm going to project past where we are. I was rereading the I Have a Dream speech with Martin Luther King. And I did a painting about the content of their character. I hope my children will be judged not by the color of the skin, but by the content of their character. 
But later on in the speech, he says, out of this terrible despair that we live in today, that we have faith. And out of this mountain of faith, we can hew out stones of hope. And immediately when I read that, I saw these children. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do a series of just children, lots of children, you know, mm-hmm. projecting past all the anger and frustration we have. Because, you know, Whitney, the children are our future. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and looking at, you know, this is where our hope lies. This is where our future lies. This is who we're going to have to look to. These are the folks we're going to have to take care of and nurture and, and protect. I don't know where it's going exactly, but I'm just going to start doing children. And will you use real children? Will you use photographs? I'll probably use made-up children. (laughs) 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 You know, a little bash of this and a little stew of that. But I'll use photographic references to do it. And I see them as very mixed media. I see it as veiled and, you know, more soft. So I did one just on hope. And there will be other words. I'm going to use text in it, too that will kind of remind us what we need to be doing and where our future lies. Cora Marshall, thank you for being here. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you. I'm Barbara St. Clair, and you've been listening to Arts In, the Creative Pinellas podcast. Sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners, visit St. Petersburg Clearwater and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley. And if you're enjoying this program, we hope you'll take a moment to give us a review. It's easy to subscribe to on your favorite podcast service. You can find more conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists and in-depth arts journalism at creativepinellas.org. Thank you for listening.